0: On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman presented by Metro Ford of OKC. We continue our breakdown of OU's roster by looking at the offensive line. And then we are joined by the NFL draft analyst for the athletic, Dane Brugler. We talked to Dane about the OU guys in this draft, Creed, Ronnie, Ramondre, Trey Brown. We also discussed some of the big draft storylines. Who is QB number three? How high will Kyle Pitts go, Slater, or Sewell? There's a little bit of everything. It is a great interview. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man, Michael Hossie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Monday, April 19th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC difference program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor, and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFort for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now, Ted, before we get to anything else, April 19th is clearly a meaningful and somber day for so many Oklahomans. I just want to let everyone know that was affected by that tragic day in 1995, and it's, it, it affected so many of us, right? that we are thinking of them and praying for them because I know that a lot of people around here live with the weight of that day every single day of their lives. How old were you? I was four, and it is, it is about the only memory I have. And I, I, I've talked about my memory before. It's about the only vivid memory I have that young. I, I remember it so clearly and maybe because it was such a crazy experience, but I was at Villa Teresa on the monkey bars, whole thing. I remember it like clear as day.
1: Oh, dang. So that's,
0: you're just, I was like a what, kid, kid. A
1: mile, not even a mile away. No, though.
0: we very close. Yeah. Very close. So yeah, I remember walking around, uh, this girl in my class, we were out for recess. This girl was standing close to the building. Windows blew out. Piece of glass in her leg. Like I, I remember it vividly.
1: Wow, that's crazy, man. That's it's nuts, nuts. It's it's been a long time, uh, ninety five. But gosh, I you know I, I still have vivid memory. Everyone does. It's one of those things we always say that you have those memories where everyone remembers where they were. Like this is one of those where everyone remembers where they were. So. Yeah, just amazing.
0: Yeah, and I did want to say, if you haven't made it out to the Oklahoma City National Memorial yet, please go. It's something I think that everyone, but certainly all Oklahomans should go take in. And It's a lot. There, There's no doubt that it's a heavy and emotional experience, but it's extremely powerful. And if you haven't had the chance – to go, it's one of the best museums in the country. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. It is the best, but it, it's an experience that I think people uh, people should take part in. It's it's fantastically done, and then you realize kind of what what that event, what the Oklahoma City bombing uh, did to this state, and kind of how it has shaped us since that day. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. How impactful it was, and and when you go back and you think about it, obviously, and I know, I've said it plenty of times, but I hope Tim Timothy McVeigh is suffering terribly in hell. Like I, I've always felt that way, and I don't think that's ever going to change. I know forgiveness is supposed to be a thing, but sorry, man. <laughs>
1: I mean, sorry. Leave but, that one to someone else. Yeah, no. yeah. I'm with uh, you though. We we take. um like if we have people that come see us from out of out of state, never been here before, we we go up there and and kind of walk around, show them the area. It's it's weird that it was such a huge deal, obviously, you know, at the time, obviously a huge national story, but it's been long enough now where there's a lot of people that don't know anything about it, really haven't heard much about it, and um, yeah, it's. That that memorial and and everything down there is amazing.
0: Yeah, so we just wanted to start start this with that. Um, we're thinking of all y'all, and uh, I know it's a it's a tough day for a lot of people here in the state of Oklahoma. Okay, now easy transition, right? Football, football, <laughs> easy transition from the uh, Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, don't forget, please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, and let us know who you want us to try to get on the podcast. This episode, we've got Dane Brugler, the author of The Beast, Teddy, the most ridiculous NFL draft guide on planet Earth. So, a fun conversation with Dane, and then we've got some offensive line talk. So, this is pretty much the episode I've been the most excited
1: for. Well, of course it is. I'm, I'm sure. This, this is... This is one of those where I'm going to sit back and I'm going to fire questions your way and tell me why guys are good, why they suck, why we're going to be awesome at this position, why we're going to be terrible. I can't wait.
0: Let's just say, hey, you remember the uh, Facebook relationship statuses? I don't know if those are still a thing. I don't get on Facebook that often anymore. But remember the one that said it's complicated? (laughs) Yes, I do. That's uh that's where I think we're at with the offensive okay. line situation. Okay. So, let's get into it. The O-line, I think this position group uh, I really do think it will determine just how good o you can be this season. And and now I kind of always feel that way, but after what we saw last year seeing that group struggle, I think it is clear how important Having an elite O-line is in Lincoln-Riley's system. Now, you can get by, right, with, with a an O-line that is good across the board. The important part, in my opinion, is that you don't have glaring weaknesses, Teddy, because you know as well as anyone, if you have a weak link in the chain, defenses will expose that guy. So... That all being said, we were hoping that this group would start finding their best combination of five in the spring, right? That's what the goal always is in spring ball. Well, injuries have made that very difficult for Bill Bedenboe to do this spring. They've had all kinds of guys miss practices. You know, Some guys have missed extended time. Some guys, it's just a practice here or there. So they haven't been able to find that consistency, and they haven't been able to consistently look at certain combinations of guys along the offensive line. That is not ideal. And I know that that may worry some OU fans after what we saw from this group last
1: season. Let me ask you this, first of all, before we really dive into this this current group and we've hit this for, you know, different times before, but just to kind of refresh, why do you think last year's group struggled? If you can pinpoint maybe one or two reasons why they struggled and it kind of why we feel like this year it could be better or it may be more of the same or it may be worse.
0: I think – Part of it had to do with the lack of a normal offseason, right? Mm-hmm. I think that those guys, a few of them, were a little out of shape, and it's hard to get in shape during the season. Right? we
1: talked nationally, we felt like offensive line s- struggled across the country because of, because of that.
0: It is a position that depends so much on getting reps together. So when you miss out on a full spring ball and training camp is all disjointed and weird, it makes it difficult. Also remember all of these teams with the mystery that kind of still surrounded the coronavirus, right? They're avoiding contact
1: a lot. It's hard to get better. Good on good. You know, because they didn't want contact tracing issues.
0: It's hard to get better at offensive line when you're not hitting people and blocking people. And it's hard to get better when you're not blocking good people. Right. So I I think that stunted their growth, stunted their improvement. I also think that last year's line didn't, it it didn't have the level of talent, right. That let's say the 2018 line had now Creed Humphrey is a stud, right? Uh, There's, there's no doubt about it, but, when you think about a guy like Adrian Ely, he's a solid right tackle, right? He's a guy that is going to be a late round draft pick, maybe go undrafted. Well, Orlando Brown was way better than that, right? So it's like you you have to you have to look at the talent, kind of the circumstances, and then those guys, some of them being out of shape, maybe not playing up to their ability. I don't think there were a lot of mental errors or anything like that. I just think that it, they, they just were never able to put it all together, right? It was weird. It was weird to watch.
1: Yeah, no, it was. Um, we've had a lot of offensive lines whenever they've had to replace guys. Start off slow and by the end of the year, finish really strong and have an outstanding group. And expected last year's group to struggle early, but just kept kind of waiting around, waiting around for them to really hit their full stride. And they did get better, but don't feel like they got to the place where we're used to seeing Oklahoma's offensive lines. Yeah,
0: a lot of other factors too, right? A lot of stuff off the field that, was weighing on guys. Uh, I know that Creed kind of felt the weight of the leadership role there, and maybe that affected his play a little bit. But, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because they certainly need to play at a higher level. And, okay, I'm going to preface this t- <laughs> this talk about the offensive line by saying this. I want to make it clear. They feel good about the pieces, they feel good about the options. They do, but I don't know if they've uh, quite put the puzzle together yet. That That's the best way to put it. Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down, Ted?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i picking it up loud and clear. I hear you. They've got good players there. They've got good talent there. They They like the guys in the room. We just got to figure out who's playing what and where and what that combination is going to look like. And we got time, but, you know, it's – the clock's always ticking, Gabe.
0: It is always ticking. Okay, let's start with a guy that I think is playing well, and that's Marquise Hayes. Uh, I've been told that out of all the positions on the offensive line, it seems like Marquise at left guard is the closest thing – to a lock, right? They feel that he has gotten even better. Clearly, he's a big physical guy, plays exactly the way Bill Biedenbow wants guys to play, experienced, has played a lot of football for this team. So that that's encouraging, right? That Marquise was a guy that maybe could have gone to the draft. I, I thought it was a really, really good decision to come back. He's everything. You want in an offensive guard, just an absolute mauler, and it sounds like he's got left guard locked down, Teddy. So, so that's a positive. That's where we start with the positive news.
1: You got to have the anchor somewhere, and this year our anchor is left guard Marquise Hayes. Love what he brings. He's he's kind of the he's the guy like like Cody Ford was, and and like maybe Orlando Brown was before that. Just the the physical beast that plays with that attitude and that chip on his shoulder.
0: Yeah. So it gets a little more complicated from there. (laughs) So let's talk about the most important position. And that of course is center. Now it, uh, it sounds like a joke, but in all seriousness, I think what happens at center will determine how the rest of this offensive line ends up looking. So the general consensus is that they still have to figure the center position out. Like It's an issue. It is an issue. They knew there was going to be a drop-off when Creed left, but from what they've seen so far, it sounds like it's a little more significant of a drop-off than they were anticipating. So let's start with Chris Murray. He's getting every chance to win the job. He's missed some practice, but from everything I've heard, His issues at center have nothing to do with the physical aspects of playing the position. He's more than capable in the run game. He's more than capable in pass protection. The part where he has really struggled at times this spring is the mental aspect of things. Recognizing what the defense is doing, uh, setting protections, calling out the combinations in the run game, there is a lot of things on the center's plate there in Lincoln Riley's offense. And Bill Bimbo, he has always put a lot on the center ever since he got there when I was the center and then it was Darlington and then it was Ren, and then it was Creed. He has made sure his centers had to do a lot of things when it comes to dictating things at the line of scrimmage. And for whatever reason, and he's done it before, right? Because I, I was hearing positive things about him at the center position before. For whatever reason, for Chris Murray right now, the mental aspect of things is a bit of a struggle. It's not quite clicking the way you would hope it would. And that is not where you want to be with Bill Beanbo. because if you if you make mental errors, that is the quickest way to find yourself on the sideline with that man. <laughs>
1: Well, in it should be that way. If you like all of the pieces on your on your offensive line and you're just trying to figure out where they go, well, if you can't have them consistently blocking set to block the proper people, it throws a wrench in everything. Just not to get too in depth, but kind of take everyone inside what exactly that means. Um, you know, recognizing the front, calling out the front, So, for instance, uh, uh, if you're just uh, running a a typical running play to the right side, off tackle to the right, the blocking combinations are different depending on what the front the defense is in and some of the blitzes. So just, like, quickly take people through, like, what on a typical couple of plays, what the center does as far as setting protection, setting combination blocks, IDing the front.
0: Yeah, so... Everything works inside to out, usually. You now there, There's some exceptions. But so in the run game, your combinations, you know, you, you memorize rules. And, you know, if you get a three-man front, these are the rules. If you get a four-man front, these are the rules. If you get a bear front or jam front, a five-man front, whatever you want to call it, these are the rules. The rules change depending on what the front is. So, you have to know what the front is. And one of the reasons I could see a center struggling in spring ball, all the going against stuff. OU's defense, <laughs> a lot of shit changes quickly, right? With all the stemming, with all the slanting, the movement. And so a lot you, of it's
1: fake. Like Exactly. stem but they just slant back to where they started from, you know, and it's just to mess with the offensive line. And, and I guess they're, unfortunately, they're messing with their own guys right now.
0: Yes, that's, that's what it sounds like. But so you have to be able to diagnose the front, communicate that to the entire offensive line and the backs and the tight ends, everybody, you have to all be on the same page. And then you have to relay your combination. Now you're identifying the Mike linebacker and all of that. And in some schemes, a certain combination is working to the mic. In some schemes, a certain combination is working to the will. In some schemes, a certain combination is working to the Sam. Like there's all these rules and it all depends on the center's communication of the front and the blocking combinations in the run game. And then if the front changes, if the look changes, you have to communicate the changes. Or your
1: call changes from the sideline.
0: Right. Your play. And it also happens. It, one thing that is very helpful is having experienced guys around you that have played a lot of football where maybe you don't have to verbalize everything. They know if the picture changes, hey, this is what changes. So when it comes to pass protection, Bill still has the center ID to Mike Linebacker. He sets the protection, he has to communicate all of the protection changes throughout the entire offensive line. Now, the quarterback can confirm some things, stuff like that, but it's still a very center-dependent protection scheme. But once again, you are doing one thing, and if they go from a four-man front to a three-man front, the protection scheme changes, right? All of a sudden, if they hop in a three-man front, you're sorting one side, you're big on big on one side, you're getting back, you're getting off the ball, Now, if they're in a four-man front, you could be in a slide protection where you're sending a three-man wall to one side. One side's big on big. Like, with the defense just shifting barely, the rules completely change. So that's where it can get complicated, right? All of a sudden, you're going four down to the mic, and you're no longer going four down on the mic. You're sorting, you're, you're trying to sift things out. Like, so it's... It's more I, – I guess the bottom line is it's more complicated than people think it is.
1: I, I think. think you got to get get the snap to the quarterback. Let's not forget about that one.
0: Snapping the ball. Yes, you have to process all of that while hearing the quarterback, and I guess they, they clap now. So when yeah. I was playing center, I got to call the snap count, so I didn't have to worry about it. Right. So they put it's that on It's hard to mess me, it up when you
1: call it, which is still possible. But <laughs> I loved it. I loved um, it. I, here's the good news about that, though we've talked about how good we think our defensive line is going to be. And whenever you factor in our talent, our athleticism, how good that group is playing with, how difficult they make it with the stemming, slanting, running the different games, it's always going to be easier than it is right now. So if you can get it down now and in training camp, whenever you're going good on good, it's going to slow way down after that. Once you start getting into some some game prep stuff. Let's hope so. Let's hope. (laughs) Let's
0: hope so. (laughs) So with Chris Murray's struggles at times at center, this week they actually are, you know, they're trying Andrew Rain, right? They they let him dip his toe in the water last week a little bit at center, and they are intrigued by what they've seen. Now, think that could be a good fit. Certainly could be a good option. Doesn't hurt at all to get him reps at that position, especially with the first team. But that transition, it, it takes a little time. Like you said, Teddy, it's a different world snapping to a quarterback on air as opposed to snapping and playing in 11-on-11 periods during spring practice. like
1: With a slanting 300-pounder on top of you.
0: It it gets a little more complicated, and it's a skill that you have to acquire. Once again, snapping the ball, not as easy as it looks when you're processing all of the things mentally, communicating everything, and also having to pay attention to when you have to snap the ball. And, oh, yeah, you're kind of worried about blocking the creature in front of you. So there's a lot going on, but it does sound like Andrew Raym could be a good option there at the center position, but they got to get, they got to get center figured out. I mean, I've heard that from multiple people that that's the, that's the big issue right now. Now, Ian McIver is a guy that Bill Beatonboe trusts. He just doesn't have the physical gifts that some of the other guys have, but They would not hesitate throwing him out there if these other guys just can't figure it out. I think he brings a lot of value to the offensive line because he kind of reminds me of an NFL guy like down down the roster a little bit. You can have him like a swing guy for the interior three. Like You don't necessarily want him to play, but if you're in a pickle, someone goes down. You can throw him out there and feel absolutely fine about him playing either guard position or the center position.
1: Yeah, and that's critical because even if they do get their when they do get their um, lineup set, things come up. Man, uh, a guy rolls an ankle, whatever it is, misses a the re- a half of a game or two weeks. You've got to have capable guys that know everything can step in without having to have a really long learning process. And there's, there's fall off, but there's not such a massive amount of fall off that it sinks your offense. So guys like that are critical, totally, totally critical. I mean, talk about the same thing uh, at like the linebacker position. You've got to have guys that can play multiple positions and maybe you're starting Mike backers down. The will needs to slide over because your backup wills maybe a little bit better than your backup might. You just got to have versatility down the down the roster a little bit, and that helps a lot.
0: Yeah. So now that we've scared everyone about the center <laughs> position, uh, let's talk about offensive tackle. So Wanya Morris comes in. Certainly, a lot of excitement about him being there, and he misses a bunch of practice to start off spring ball, like quite a bit. So once he finally got on the field, he struggled, which of course isn't that surprising. New system and missed time; hadn't been able to get reps. Uh, got some new techniques he's learning under Bill Bedenbo. But good news: it sounds like in the last week or so, he's starting to get it. Ted, like it is starting; it is starting to come together for the young man. And that is encouraging because they they need him to be one of the starting tackles. When you look at the talent he's got and they're relatively thin at the tackle position, he needs to be good, man. He, I mean, this kid, he needs to live up to the hype. He needs to be a player for this O-line. And it sounds like settling in a little bit. So that's encouraging.
1: Well, We know he's got the the athleticism to be able to do all the things that are being asked of him, right? So it's not about being limited physically, at least um, from, from what I heard whenever he was coming in. So, yeah, if whenever you miss time in a spring, whenever you're not an established guy, you don't know the system, you don't have... Uh, all the techniques and, and, and different things that you have to do locked down. That time is gold because now you're coming in after all the new guys and even the guys that are there have, have sharpened up from having time off. Uh, they've been out there on the field for, what, eight, 10 practices. So everyone's really starting to hit their stride, as, as settling into playing in pads again. And then here you come playing against everyone that's at maybe their best that they're going to be in the spring, you're just showing up. You're still learning the system. You can watch it on film all day long. But until you get out there and learn the muscle memory of the protections, of the blocking schemes, of the combos, get to know the guys that you're comboing with and blocking with. I mean, Gabe, I've heard you say it before. You know, you may play with one guard that likes to combo – one way compared to another guy that likes it a little bit different. So you got to get to know your teammates there on the offensive line. So that's a big setback. So it's good to hear that he's he's starting to get back up to speed, but you know, we're here we are running thin on time in spring practice.
0: Right, and once again, you're trying to learn a new system, you're trying to process all the rules that defense, man, everything is changing in front of your eyes right before the snap, and you've you've got to be on it. So when you hesitate, it's hard to play well. I mean, it really is. If you're thinking, if you're trying to process things and it's not like a seamless transition for you from going one rule to the next when things change, you can look really bad. <laughs> you can look really bad at times. Now, the right tackle position, this sounds interesting because the, the hope was that Anton Harrison would be a guy that made a big jump this spring, right? And this is another guy that has missed some spring practice. Now, it sounds like there's some progress, but they really need this kid to make a big jump, right? If they want this offensive line to be as talented as it can be, they need anton harrison to figure some things out because you can play some other guys there at right tackle right you you can but they don't have the natural gifts that anton harrison has got he's got to he's got to focus in on learning everything he's supposed to do on utilizing the techniques doing things the way that bill wants him to do it and he's got to make that jump because if he can put it all together, he can be a player. Now, I mean, we saw moments last year when he was a left tackle. Like, he can do some really nice things. It's just one of those things where, you know, he's made a little progress in spring but had to miss some time, and now you you feel like maybe he hasn't progressed the way you were hoping he would in spring ball.
1: Well, I don't know how you feel, but the – the guys being a little banged up and missing time in the spring that worries me because I always feel like if you miss, if you're missing in the spring and you're, you're, you're beat up and you've got to sit out, that doesn't usually seem like it's a problem that goes away. Like as you acquire more things, more injuries, more scar tissue, you know, the body is, is broken down more. It's, it's, and this isn't guaranteed, but it usually happens more as you go on, not less as you go on. So it's a little bit worrying to see so many guys having to miss time throughout the spring, whenever, you know, what you practice three times during the week and then maybe once on the weekend compared to a season where it's every single day plus a game. I mean, this should be the time where you're feeling your absolute best and you walk out on the practice field every day feeling totally fresh, totally one hundred percent, able to to really attack it. So it's kind of troubling.
0: Okay, so let's get to uh, let's get to the position <laughs> that is most up in the air, Teddy, and that is right guard, right? Because it, it's most up in the air because it is going to be affected by what happens at center and by what happens at the tackle positions. So you you look at tackle, I guess you got to look at tackle a little more. Eric Swenson, the elder statesman, still there, ladies and gentlemen. I have been told that he was actually playing really well at multiple spots, that he was putting together a good spring, uh, was challenging for a starting spot, was playing with more consistency, than some of the guys that are more talented than he is. But then last week he gets hurt and is likely done for the spring. I feel like this guy, I feel like Eric Swenson cannot buy a damn break. I mean, it's always something and it's just, I mean, we'll never know what he could have been. Cause the guy he's been, I, I don't know how many limbs has he hurt in his career at OU? It just All sounds of like them. another bad break for him.
1: All of them. Um, I'm you know you had talked about I think him moving down to guard for quite a while, right that maybe that would just be a better spot for him than being out there on the edge. He's got some good size to him, some good power, so that's a good move if there's Swinson's one of the guys that I'm actually not worried about injury wise because. I know he's going to be hurt during the season and I know he's going to play through it. So, I mean, that's just what it's going to be. Okay.
0: He's just going to be miserable and yeah. play through all the pain. That's just, that's, that's what our band is does. Okay. So, the right guard spot, you've got the Rame situation now that has developed at center. So, that affects things clearly. Now, Tyrese Robinson is the returning starter. He has slimmed down, looked better. Been playing guard, they've been working him at right tackle in case of some of the other guys can't figure things out, but then he has to have surgery. So another guy banged up. So the offensive line looks a lot different when they're healthy and they've got all the pieces to choose from, and they can try the different combinations. But once again, it has been it's been an issue. They they haven't been able to do that. So If Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris can't figure things out at tackle, then Bray Walker comes into the picture as a guy that could maybe factor in at right guard. So right guard is dependent on if Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison can figure things out and play well, because then that would allow Tyrese Robinson to probably play right guard. But then if Chris Murray can figure things out at center, then maybe Andrew Rame is your right guard and it becomes a competition between Robinson and Rame for that position. If other guys can't figure it out, then maybe Tyrese Robinson is your right tackle. And that possibly brings Bray Walker in at right guard because maybe Rame is playing center for you. There's some moving parts going on here. I'm just saying it's an interesting situation
1: right now it's Bill Bedenbow it's his version of a Rubik's cube right now <laughs> that's, tried such, figure, that's so good <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on he's like tinkering uh, yeah it, it's fascinating you know and health is always a factor man and you know it's frustrating and it's and it's causing you to have to maybe find some some avenues that you didn't want to go down but it's preparing you for the season. Because at least maybe it's happening now and you're getting a chance to move some of these guys around as opposed to happening, you know, week five or week six. And now you've got to do it on the fly in the season. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of a blessing in disguise to get guys acclimated at uh, some different spots that they may not end up starting there whenever the season gets underway you may have your group but if stuff happens then you do have some stuff from the spring to be able to fall back on that's my rosy picture of it anyways
0: once again and i know that probably hasn't been the most encouraging breakdown of the current offensive line situation they do feel good about the pieces it's right now the puzzle uh you know maybe not fitting together the way that they would want to but we remain optimistic. I'm sure some, some people just listen to this and like, what? What are you talking We're about? We're going to be terrible. Uh, at And in all seriousness, at the end of the day, Bill Beatenbo is the best doing it. He will find a combination where they can win a lot of games. He will. He will. Now, he may have to try a few more combinations than he was hoping he'd have to try, but... Ultimately, that's what it comes down to with the offensive line at Oklahoma for me. I trust Bill Beatenbow to figure it out. So remain optimistic, people. It it it's a hey, it's a long way till the first kickoff, guys. Long way.
1: It is a long way. And maybe it's way too early to ask this question. But Uh-oh. as of right now, the way you see it right now, whenever you forecast it. For the fall, do you feel like this group, if they get set, if they know their positions, do you feel like this group can be better than last year, as good as last year, not quite as good as last year? How do you forecast it way too early in April?
0: I think that it would be a similar level as last year, similar level. I think that's um, that is my current expectation. From what I've been told, I can't in good faith go. Yeah, no, no, no. They're going to be way better in last year's line. I mean, yeah. they're losing a, you know, possibly a first round pick at center. You know, a, a right tackle that, you know, played a lot of games for Oklahoma. So I, I think, the the one thing, that is encouraging is this line is getting these spring reps right and they're going to have from all indications a normal summer they're going to have a normal training camp so the improvement from where they started in march to where they're going to be when we kick things off against Tulane i i do think that they're going to they're going to improve a lot because bill bill is great at continually improving his guys so I remain optimistic but I think it would be a similar level as last year.
1: Yeah, and I think you know part of it also last year maybe a small part of it but I think the defenses in the Big 12 are have gotten way better and next year is going to be no different. Iowa State, Baylor's defense, Texas with Quitkowski coming from Washington, I think they're going to be pretty salty so um TCU is going to have a good defense so it's going to be a challenge.
0: You mean that some people may need to get used to our quarterbacks not being able to sit back there for 8 seconds and go through all their reads.
1: Oh yeah. That some Kyler of the stuff that Baker and Kyler got to do back there just not normal. Yeah, good
0: reminder. That's that's usually not how it works. Okay, let's get to our interview with Dane Brugler, but first First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I've done that a couple of times. That's, <laughs> that's not a place. Based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And guys, spring is here and you know what that means. It is hard seltzer season, baby. And there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate,
1: maybe at some
0: T-Ball games every once in yeah.
1: a while there, Ted? Yes, yes. Maybe in a Gatorade squirt bottle, you know, just, uh, just to hide it a little bit. But yes, definitely at T-Ball.
0: It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Well, and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. Okay, here is Dane Bruegler. It is our pleasure to be joined by the author of the Beast. Yes, the <laughs> Beast. He is the NFL draft analyst
2: for the Athletic. Dane Brugler is in the house. What's going on, Dane? I appreciate you boys having me on. It's uh, it's a fun time. We're two weeks away uh, from the draft. It feels like you can't get here soon enough. But at the same time, plenty to talk about. Plenty to still still to figure out with this with this draft. So uh, pl- my pleasure being on with you guys.
0: Dan, your draft guide is truly unbelievable. It is a ridiculously informative draft guide, but I wanted to start with the OU guys with you, and I knew you were a smart guy already, but you've got Creed Humphrey as your top-rated center, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I think Creed Humphrey is going to be a better pro than he was a college player because I think he was in Bit of a limited system from what he was doing there at Oklahoma. Do you think he is a guy that is going to go, you know, early day two and be able to step in as a starter immediately?
2: I, and I think the only disagreement I would have there is maybe he goes round one. I mean, I think he really could, uh, because if you're you know, we, we talk so much about rounds and where these guys are drafted and value and all that. But at the end of the day, it's just, what are you bringing to my football team? And it, it doesn't matter if you're a second round or third rounder, are you going to be an impact starter? And for a team that is looking for that impact starter uh, at center, Creed Humphrey's it. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Landon Dickerson as well I actually graded him higher as guard. Uh, just, you know, some of the height issues, we just don't see that very often, although with, you know, Landon Dickerson, he's, he's so good, he could probably overcome that. But with uh, Creed Humphrey, I think he's the top center. And I think you look at the Jaguars picking there at the late end or the end of the first round. You're getting Trevor Lawrence early, uh, you know, get him as his center uh, at pick 25. I think that's a possibility. Uh, In my seven-round mock on The Athletic today, I had the Eagles uh, drafting uh, Creed Humphrey in the early portion of the second round. So I think there's going to be several teams that are going to have their eye on on Humphrey as a guy they could uh, bring in from day one to be the guy. Uh, you, You love the resume, 37 starts. He was from the day uh, he he first started. uh, You know, he was just seemed like he was an all American. Um, You know, he was part of that really experienced offensive line Oklahoma had in 2018. And then, you know, he was kind of the leader from there on out, uh, you know, bringing uh, bringing along some of these young guys. uh, You know, you love the toughness. You love guys you could just tell were former wrestlers in high school. He's one of those guys. uh, You know, not, not many lefty uh, snappers, but he, he's one of them. And, you know, the you love the technique, the reaction quickness. So big fan of Creed Humphrey and what he's going to bring to an NFL squad.
1: You know, we, we often talk about uh, offensive line coach at Oklahoma, Bill Bedenboe, and right. the track record that he's got recently of putting guys into the NFL. And when you see so many of those guys starting, playing well in the league, It seems like the reputation of offensive linemen coming out of Oklahoma would be pretty good. Is that what you hear whenever you talk to NFL guys?
2: Yeah, no question. You, uh, because you understand how they're coached, you understand what they're being taught. And I I think it gives them a little bit of a leg up. And so you have a ton of respect for the coaching staff there. Um, And and it shows on Sundays uh, exactly what you're talking about. So, um, and, and I think that, you know, you learn which coaches uh, you know, really tell you the truth and which ones are kind of, you know, they're, they're just going to say positive things about all the players. Then you realize some of these guys can't play. Uh, I've got a lot of respect to that, you know, in, in my interactions with the Oklahoma coaching staff, they've been pretty upfront with me um, off the record or on the record and everything on the record and off the record about uh, Creed Humphrey has been just uh, uh, glowing uh, with the way he carries himself, the competitive toughness. Um, and so you know a, a guy like that who plays through injuries um he's so uniquely powerful um and he's been the way he's been coached the way he's been you know developed and brought through um i think maybe the only worry is you know maybe you uh you worry about some of the maybe some bad habits from that offense but it's he he's a such a coachable player that i don't think it's it's necessarily something you worry about so um, you know, he, he's a guy that you're going to bring in from day one and he's going to compete for your starting center job and you're gonna have to, not going to have to worry about that position for a long time.
0: You've got a second to third round grade on Ronnie Perkins and then yeah. he's got impressive tape, right? Didn't have a ton of it missing the six games last year. But is the thing that's kind of holding him back is the fact that it's kind of hard to project what position He'll play in the NFL, and I and I guess he also lacks elite measurables, right?
2: Right, six two and a half, two hundred and fifty three pounds. Uh, you know, adequate length, just under thirty three inch arms. Uh, you know, the testing data was good, not great. Four seven in the forty. Uh, you know, thirty two inch vert, uh, one six nine in a ten yard split. You know, you want a little bit better than that in terms of that first step, get off that explosion. But on tape, he's a good player. Uh, you know, I love how heavy his hands are. Uh, he, he looks to get his hands on uh tackles really quickly and then dictate the action. Um, I, I thought that he took advantage of that system a little bit. Uh, it's just the way they slant their uh their defensive linemen, I think that inflated his production just a little bit. Uh, because in, in six games, he had 10 and a half sacks, so he, he was a guy frequently in the backfield. Uh, you know, obviously being suspended for six games, that's something that teams would just have to be comfortable with. Um, but the coaches talk really highly about him. They they call him a leader. Um, they, you know, they say how, how different it was when he was back in the lineup uh, for that defense and just uh, what he meant for that team. So um, I, he's a guy that looks comfortable on his feet. He can drop a little bit. He can uh, shut down the run. Um, and so I think somewhere – Top 75 is where we're going to see Ronnie Perkins off the board. I think second round is a very good chance to go in the second round. If not early third round seems like uh, kind of the ceiling of where he'll be drafted.
1: What, you know, Gabe mentioned, he's kind of in between positions. Where do you think he's going to play in the NFL? It's, it's weird because we've never seen him as a stand-up edge guy, right. but that's kind of what his frame is in the NFL but he's always his tape shows that he's a hand down guy. So, like, where do you think we end up seeing him, and what what style of play?
2: I, I think that he is. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be able to stand up consistently. I don't know that he has that type of range as a player, but he can do it. And you know, if you want him dropping, spot dropping, and zone dropping I, here and there, I think he could do that. But for the most part. He's a physical guy, and I think that's how you want to be using him, Uh, you know, the stick, the stab, um, all these different ways that he can attack blockers uh, and just keep blockers uh, on their toes. I think that's how you're going to use him. I don't know that he's ever going to be necessarily a double-digit sack guy in the NFL. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be his game. But I think that he, you trust him versus the run, the the way he can set an edge. Um, you know he he's not going to be a guy that lets you down in that area. So I think he has the makings of just a quality hand the ground starter for a lot of years.
0: Looking at Ramondre Stevenson, uh, you have him as your seventh ranked running back. You've got a fourth round projection or grade on him. How do you think his ability? translates to the nfl because right not the fastest guy in the world but he seems like he can be a reliable back on the next level
2: yeah and he's for a guy that's 230 pounds he moves pretty quick like you said he's not the fastest guy he's not going to win many races out there but he moves like a much smaller player with that short area quickness uh, you know he's able to get to his top speed quickly. His top speed's not great, but he can get to it quickly, and so that acceleration really helps him get downhill in a hurry. And then, like for a guy that size, you know he can he can bounce off tacklers, and uh, you know it's just a really unique type of player. And you know I think one of my favorite parts about doing this uh, is learning about the journeys of all these guys because you know no two journeys are alike. You know the, the where they came from. The, the different, uh, you know, adverse situations they faced along the way, uh, it, it no two situation or story is the same. And so I think it really helps us uh, tell us where they're headed by understanding where they're from. And, and a guy like Ramon J. Stevenson. You know, going being out of football at a high school, and then going the JUCO route, and then going to Oklahoma, where you know he was he was a backup uh, that first year in twenty nineteen, and then he's get you know, had the suspension, and then he finally cut. You know, is the guy uh, as a senior in twenty twenty, and he, he was you uh, just love the production. He was averaging what seven yards a carry. Uh, he really liked what he could do at the backfield as a pass catcher. He had 18 catches this past year. Um, so not a guy that's necessarily, you know, explosive and shifty, but there's just very little wasted motion in his cuts because he's such a, a quick runner for a big man like that. So, uh, you know, you worry a little bit about the, you know, the inconsistent past uh, just, you know, bouncing around from Juco and then the suspension in Oklahoma but if he's a guy that stays focused and stays, uh, you know, learns how to be a professional, uh, you know, he's built for the pro game. And I think he's going to be a guy that can help a backfield. This is
1: more of a question kind of for you personally, because just thinking about that running back spot, I think over the last decade, it's probably changed as far as um, draft value more than any other spot. I mean, it wasn't very long ago. We'd see two, three, four guys in the first round at running back now mm-hmm. Maybe one if it's a guy that can do everything. So what's changed with the NFL as far as what they're looking for coming out of college for these running backs and uh, what they value and and why they've kind of slid down the, the pecking order a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think it it just it varies from team to team. You know, you have a team like the Giants who you know took Saquon Barkley in the top three picks. Uh, Meanwhile, there are some other teams that wouldn't even consider a running back in the first round. And I I think it just it it depends on the makeup of your roster and where are you um, in terms of uh, your your team needs. And you you look at the Steelers, for example. Uh, You know, they have a small window here with Ben as their quarterback, and you know to go for it. So at pick 24, Najee Harris makes all the sense in the world because, you know, they, again, who's going to make the biggest impact for you in 2021 right away. You could argue that's Najee Harris and what he brings to your offense, uh, not only as a runner, but as a pass catcher and a blocker. So I, I think that makes a ton of sense, but for another team, it might not make as much sense because they're maybe they're not a running back away. Maybe they need to get better on the offensive line, and it makes more sense for them to invest in a left tackle in the first round. So I really think it just uh, depends on you know your situation, what your roster makeup looks like, and you know I, I think the running back gets gets dinged a little bit, uh, and I, I can understand not paying a running back that second contract. That's a lot of money. Uh, I, I understand that point of it. But if you find a difference maker, um, at least for your team in the in the draft, I, I don't think that you know there's such a thing as drafting him too early. Uh, if he's going to be a difference maker for your roster,
0: you've got a fourth round grade on Trey Brown, and there there's no doubt he's got the speed, right? But he he's not the ideal size. Now it seemed right. like he had a a decent week there playing the nickel at the senior bowl and, and did some good things. But h- how do you kind of view Trey Brown and where do you think he fits in an NFL defense?
2: I think he's that ideal nickel that you're looking for because he is tough and it was fun watching him uh senior bowl week. I, I was in the stands uh, maybe 15 feet from him and he was, he, he did not back down from anybody. And it was a lot of fun to watch him. Uh, go out there and compete. Uh, you know, he. there are a few times where the lack of inches uh, showed, but more times than not, uh, you know, he he came out from from the battle as a winner. So, and then you watch the tape and you see a lot of the same things. Uh, a really outstanding athlete, ran a 4-4-0 in the 40-yard dash at the Pro Day, 38-inch vert. Um, I, and then, you know, you go and you look more and more and you see him make some big-time plays in the biggest moments. Uh, the three Big 12 championship games, Uh, The last three years, sack safety in 2018. um, He had uh, that touchdown, big touchdown uh, preventing play in 2019 against Baylor. And then he had the interception this past year uh, that sealed it against Iowa State. So um, he's a guy that just has been making plays and uh, the size isn't ideal. But if early day three, I'm looking for that nickel, that feisty corner who has athleticism, who has compete skills, uh, you know, the, the physicality that he plays with. Uh, I love how he plays through the hands of receivers. So even when, uh, you know, he might uh, give up the catch point, he doesn't quit ball searching. He's always looking to to get it out. Um, And and so the athleticism helps cover up some of the lack of uh, size with him. Uh, I I love the aggressive play with with Trey Brown. So somewhere, I think, early on day three, a team looking for that nickel corner, I think they're going to be looking at Trey Brown as being a viable option for them.
0: Quick break. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best in class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And make sure you connect with our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their are licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic at Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right back to the interview
1: with all of these guys these OU guys end up falling within your your window who do you think is the best value play is it is it creed humphrey right there maybe the end of the first round early second is it uh a Ramondre in the fourth round who, who do you think if they fall in the slot that you predict is the best value mm-hmm. for an nfl team
2: I, you know, you could make an argument, um, I, I, really, for all, all these guys. I mean, because Creed Humphrey, I, I, again, I don't – we spend so much time talking about rounds, but if he comes in and he's a lockdown center from, for you from day one and could you get a him player. at pick 36, I mean, that's a tremendous value and uh, what he would mean to your offense. So Creed Humphrey certainly qualifies. Uh, you know, like a Ronnie Perkins – this is a really interesting pass rush class. You know, we don't have that Chase Young this year. We don't have the Bosa brothers. We don't have Miles Garrett. We don't have that top 10 pass rusher. But there's a just a log jam of talented yet flawed pass rushers in that 20 to 75 range. There's a lot of these guys. You know, whether you're talking about a Jason Oway from Penn State, who's a the freakiest of the freaks when you talk about athleticism. With zero sacks last year. And you know, different teams. Uh how does you know, that happen? The- what
0: he ran like a four-three and had he zero sacks.
2: fall into
1: a couple of them.
2: Well, and, and honestly, I mean, you watch the Indiana tape and you see the guy, he is disrupting the backfield. And I think it's it, it's very strange that he didn't have any sacks because he was disruptive. He had a, a ton of hits on the quarterback. He just didn't get home quick enough. And I, I think when you factor in Uh, He he was a big basketball player. He never played football until his junior year of high school. He's still learning how to, you know, patch moves together and set up uh, uh, blockers. Some scouts say that, you know, he just doesn't have the instincts and that's not something that's easily coachable with him. Others say he's going to get there. So, but that, that, to my point, these pass rushers, they're all kind of flawed. And so for like a Ronnie Perkins, you know, if he's available at pick 72, I, I love that value there for him. Uh, you know, if he might get, you know, pushed down a little bit. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think Creed Humphrey uh, and uh, it, Ronnie Perkins, those two guys could, if they end up going, you know, in the, in the early thirties, early seventies uh, for Perkins, that would be awesome value for that team.
0: Okay. Let's look at some of the big storylines of the draft. And it seems like the biggest debate is who is QB three because Trevor Lawrence has already got the Jags playbook. Like that's a done deal. sounds like Zach Wilson's going to be headed to New York at number two. Who do you like as the next QB? Dane, are you a, are you a Lance guy, Fields guy, Mac Jones guy? Who do you like?
2: If I were picking third personally, I would go Lance. I I think when you look at, how much ability he has, uh, both physically and mentally, this is the type of guy I want to work with. And, you know, the ceiling is so high for him. And it's just, you know, I was talking about, you know, background and just learning about these guys and how fascinating it is with Trey Lance. He wasn't one of these guys that grew up uh, with, with a quarterback guru teaching him how to do every little thing. Uh, you know, he, he played safety as a senior in high school. I mean, how many quarterbacks are doing that? Uh, and it's not because, you know, I mean, he just he, he wasn't viewed as a top recruit. Minnesota, uh, which was in his uh, you know close by where he grew up in a small town of Minnesota, the Gophers w- were trying to recruit him as a safety. They, they didn't think he could play quarterback. And so he just went overlooked, went overlooked, goes to North Dakota State and credit to North Dakota State because they put a lot on his plate. Uh, you talk about what they asked him to do during the week in terms of understanding protections, understanding the defense, digesting the game plan. They put a lot on his plate to get ready for the opponent. And I, I just, I, he's the type of guy that if I'm going to bet on one of these guys, I think it'd be him, but, it, it, but I don't want to you know make it sound like I don't like the other guys. Cause I do. I mean, we're talking about you know, these guys are ice cream flavors. They're all really good. It just comes down to preference and what you're looking for. Um, and so, you know, Justin Fields, I, I would love to add him to my team. If I needed a quarterback, I you know, there's so much talent, so much ability there. And then Mac Jones, I, I think, you know, the, a lot of 49er fans aren't very thrilled with the, the chance of Mac Jones being a 49er at number three, but really when you look at it, okay, what are the two most important traits at the quarterback position? It's accuracy and decision-making, right? You could argue Mac Jones is uh, above the rest in those two areas. You just have to decide, okay, is he good enough in those other areas talking about mobility and arm strength and, you know, just all the other variables that it takes to play the quarterback position at a high level. So Mac Jones, I understand why, you know, he's kind of viewed as just this uh, unimpressive physical talent. Um, But when you really factor in his anticipation he, he always knows where to go with the football. Uh, and I think he has enough functional mobility where, because he understands where the rush is coming from and he can slide in the pocket and buy those extra half seconds that matters. And so I, I think all those reasons are why he is absolutely in the conversation uh, to be that pick at number three.
1: Are you sold on Wilson at two? Cause I got to tell you, and Hey, I'm wrong all the time, but <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it at all. What don't you see? I, well, I'll tell you, number one, he's going to the Jets. All right, and Uh, fair. I say, if you line up Darnold and you line up Zach Wilson, whenever they're both coming out, I don't think there's any doubt that everyone would say, "Well, we're going with Sam Darnold." And you know that doesn't always always match up, but I don't. I I just I don't. (laughs) The teams that he played, the competition he was against. I just, I think there's way more hype than substance there.
2: I, I mean, there's, you're, you're talking a lot, speaking a lot of truths there. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing we can do about the competition level that he faced. It is what it is. And uh, I think that based off of where Donald was coming out and when Wilson's coming out, I, I think that's fair as well. Saying that you know, Donald was probably the higher ranked prospect. But I, I think with the, from the jets perspective, I just think he's damaged goods at this point. At least in New York, I, I think a fresh start was exactly what both sides needed. Um, and, it, and it's hard because we're not, you know, we're not in the in the meeting rooms and understanding, you know, the, how the last three years went. A new coaching staff, uh, you know, Joe Douglas hey, is better.
1: He should be happy with that. Where oh yeah. He went. Sure. He, he's Absolutely. got the greatest deal ever. That's one of the best places he could have
2: gone. And you look at the, the jets with the new coaching staff. I, you know, I, I like Joe Douglas a lot. The, you know, he's now, this will be a second draft as a general manager. I think that, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. I, I I think just based off of the small sample size, we have, if ownership can kind of stay out of the way, I think the jets have the pieces in place, coaching MGM, GM where they can build this thing. And with Zach Wilson, I, you know, again, can't do anything about the competition, but I think we can still grade him based off of lo- the level of throws that he's making uh, off platform. He is so instinctive. Uh, it, it makes it look really, really easy. I understand why some see the, the Aaron Roger flashes with the, just the way he can alter his arm angles and uh, make plays. And really, to me, that's where that's why I have, or the difference between a Zach Wilson and Justin Fields for me is, and this goes back to an old Bill Walsh thing that he, when he talked about quarterbacks, he talked about Joe Montana. Why, you know, the the difference between good and great at the position is the ability to make that great, spontaneous decision. And that's what I see with Zach Wilson. He is able to make that quick, twitch, spontaneous decision and be accurate with the football. Where with a guy like Justin Fields, who I like a lot, I love the talent, would love to work with him. He's a little more methodical in his process and, you know, how he reads, how he delivers the football. I He can, I, he can speed that up a little bit in the NFL, and I think people need to. Uh, but with Zach Wilson, I've seen him do it. And so... Uh, as long as you're comfortable with the person and just you know how he retains information and you know is able to implement the game plan, all those things that we don't necessarily always see on tape. As long as you're comfortable in that in those areas mentally, I, to me, he's a, he's the number two quarterback just because what he can do with his arm. He's a natural thrower of the football, and so. But he's going to New York, and that's tough. It's uh, it's not the easiest place to play. Uh, You know they they did add Corey Davis, the wide receiver, free agency. You hope Denzel Mims uh, in year two is ready to take off. Uh, They need to get better on the offensive line. That was probably the chief reason why Sam Darnold uh, wasn't able to do more for that team. Makai Becton, I think, is going to be one of the better left tackles in the game. But they're not done. They need help on the interior. They need help at right tackle. So. The, the Jets are set up in this draft. They have five picks in the first three rounds. So, uh, you know, if they do take Zach Wilson, like we believe they will at number two, it'll be interesting to see what they do at pick 23. And then the second pick in the second round, how are they going to help their quarterback uh, to be able to succeed in a, in a tough environment in the NFL as, as still just a young player? He's still just 21 years old.
0: This draft has some really good wish receivers. You look at Jalen Waddell. Um, Devontae Smith, Kadarius Toney, Jamar Chase, probably going to be the wide receiver that comes off the board first. But how crazy is it that Kyle Pitts is probably going to come off the board before all of those guys? I mean, a tight end, Dane. I I mean, just how talented is this kid and what does it say about how
2: tight ends are valued now? I don't know that it really. I don't know how much it says about tight ends. I just, I just think it says what Kyle Pitts how different he is, how special he is. You just don't want to be the GM that passed on special, and that's what I think Kyle Pitts is. Um, I, 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 this reminds me a lot of uh, you know 2018 when Quentin Nelson was coming out, and it was okay, yeah, he's really really good, but he's a guard. And but by the time we got to draft day, you know he's the top player on the board because you just you had to get there mentally. Putting a guard as the number one player in the draft. It's the same thing with Kyle Pitts. You know, we have known how good he is. It just, it took a little bit of, you know, mental hurdles to get there to say that Kyle Pitts is the best non-quarterback in the draft. And he is because he's just so special, so different. Six, five and a half, 245 pounds, four, four, zero in a 40-year dash. Are you kidding me? Uh for a guy with an 83 and a half inch wingspan. And just the raw numbers look great. But then you throw on the tape; it's even better. And it's not like he's just beating linebackers and safeties. Yeah, you know, he's beating corners in the SEC. Uh, throw on the Kentucky tape, and he's blowing past Kelvin Joseph uh, at Kentucky, a four-three athlete who has a chance to be a first-round pick in April uh, or here in two weeks. Uh, so Kyle Pitts is just different. He's a unicorn. Uh, you know, he's a cheat code, whatever, whatever way you want to describe him. Um, and it's not just the athleticism; it's the ball skills. They're elite. Uh, the catch radius, his reflexes, his hand eye coordination. So, and you know, there's a lot of debate about oh, is he a receiver? Is he a tight end? I, I don't care. I mean, you look at a guy like Travis Kelsey, 50 50, he's either in line or he's detached, uh, you know, running you know, routes is basically their ex receiver. Same thing with Kyle Pitts. I mean, I think it'll be 50 50. He can line up in line, he can execute basic blocks, uh, but also put him in a slot, put him outside. Uh, you know, uh, you want him going down the field and making plays. So, you look at this draft. Okay. Quarterbacks are going one, two, three. What are the Falcons do it for? Uh, you know, they're going to have a tough decision here between we could get our quarterback for the future. You know, our successor to Matt Ryan, We're probably going to get some trade action here. Broncos, maybe uh, with the Patriots, try to go up that far. So we have to listen to these trade offers, but you got Kyle Pitts sitting there right there in your laps. And you know, this is a chance to go for it. Matt Ryan's going to be your starter probably the next two years. Um, you know, not quite the MVP Matt Ryan, but he's still a, a, probably a slightly above average quarterback in the league. Uh, you have a chance to go for it. And a guy like Kyle Pitts is going to help you right away. So that's an awfully appealing route to go if you're Atlanta.
1: Here's what I think's crazy about Pitts. He's lighter, shorter, and slower than Calvin Johnson. And Calvin Johnson ran his 4-3 at the combine in Indy, not at pro day. Uh, On the hand timer. So that's just mind blowing. Uh, There's been already been a lot of movement uh, with this draft. It seems like maybe this is becoming a little more common. And are we going to see between now and draft night, maybe even on draft night, are we going to continue to see teams jumping around and making trades?
2: I think so. I think we we knew there was going to be a big trade coming uh, before that San Francisco trade was official. Um, We we just weren't sure who. So San Francisco makes that big move. So we know three quarterbacks are going one, two, three. And then what happens with the other two quarterbacks? Uh, You know, are we going to see some movement. You know, like the Patriots, to me, are the most intriguing here because we just we don't know, uh, you know, how aggressive they're willing to be because Tom Brady was there the last 20 years. So they, we didn't have to worry or they didn't have to worry about the quarterback position. So we just don't have a, you know, really a, a sample size of them going to get their quarterback. They've waited till the second, third round to get, uh, you know, your Jimmy Garoppolo's and, you know, those types of quarterbacks. After what we saw from the Patriots last year uh, and, you know, mediocre quarterback play uh, mediocre offense. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If we see Bill Belichick say, let's be aggressive Justin Fields, he gets past, say, you know, out of the top six. Let's call the Lions at seven and let's go get uh, our quarterback. You look at Washington at 19. Uh, if one of these quarterbacks gets to a certain point, I think we'll see Washington try to make a move. Uh, you know, Chicago, same type of deal. If you know one of these quarterbacks gets out of the top seven, eight picks, that's where things get really interesting. And I was actually uh, talking to a scout last week who told me, don't rule out Carolina either at number eight. Uh, Yes, they made the Sam Darnold trade, but this is an organization that's ready to throw a ton of darts at the position. And, you know, they were willing to give up a ton for Deshaun Watson. Obviously, with that situation going south, they're going in a different direction. They went with Sam Darnold and they could still use that number eight pick on, say, a Justin Fields. And it's still less than what it would have cost them to go get Deshaun Watson, except now you have two quarterbacks maybe a better odds of figuring out who your guy could be. It's, it's a really uh, progressive, uh, you know, out of the box type of way of doing things. We just don't see teams be that aggressive at the quarterback position, but why not? It's about time. Someone tried it at least to see how it works out. It, It might backfire and blow up in their faces, but I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina went that route.
0: Quick break for Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma city's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and craps. No matter what your game Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in April from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $100,000 in cash and bonus play in Riverwind's baskets and cash promotion. That's awesome. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence, They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, back to the interview. Dan. I feel like there's two other common debates right now between all the NFL draft analysts. And that that is, are you a Rashawn Slater guy or a Panay Sewell guy? or And are you a Patrick Sertan guy or a JC Horn guy? Where do you fall in these debates?
2: I'm definitely a Panay Sewell guy. Um, for a guy that's... 20 years old i mean it's just crazy how young he is uh he was born a few weeks uh before tom brady made his first pass in the nfl it's just kind of mind-blowing how young this guy is uh and he's 330 pounds and you see a picture with him you know shirtless and nothing but shorts where i don't know where he hides it it just his body type is so unique uh you know just that Samoan background and the way his body composition, it's just, it's a really unique player. Um, and one of the reasons I love Tristan Wirfs last year as a prospect uh, is the, the big man balance. That's what I think Penny Sewell really offers. Um, and it's not just the physical ability, but his ability to make those split second reads, the instincts, um, you know, Mario Cristobal is head coach at Oregon calls him the best player he's ever been around. Um, so with Pene Sewell, uh, I, I think that's, he, he gets the edge for me. Now I still really like Rashawn Slater. He, he might be, and I don't say this lightly, he might be the Zach Martin of this draft where could he play tackle? Yeah, I think he could, he could, I mean, watch him against you know the, the tape against Chase Young. He could play tackle, but he might be even better at guard. And so there's, you know, two different ways of thinking. I'm going to let him play uh, tackle until, you know, he shows me that he can't where other teams are going to say, you know, let's maximize his ability, put him at guard, and we don't have to worry about that position for the next 10 years. So Pene Sewell, Rashawn Slater, both could easily go in the top 10 of this draft, uh, but I would lean Sewell personally. And then the two SEC corners, uh, it's easy to love both these guys. I would lean Sertan just because, uh, you know, the for a guy that's, you know, being the son of a pro bowler, um, you know, having to look up to his dad all those years – he plays so composed. He, he doesn't panic ever. That's just not how he plays. He trusts his technique. Um, there, there's a lot to like about his mental process. And, it, it, I mean, for a guy that showed up uh, in Tuscaloosa and started from day one for Nick Saban, that says a lot. And that's also, I, I think, a reason why uh, teams really like J.C. Horn. His coaches say that the day that he showed up as a freshman, he was the guy leading the culture change as a true freshman. Um, You know, he's he he's not as brash as his dad was, but he has that type of bravado where, you know, he's going to come in and he wants to be a leader. He's going to lead by example, but he's not afraid to speak up. So both these guys, I think, have that dog mentality that you want with J.C. Horn he's a little too aggressive where he's going to be a flag magnet. He's the type of corner where every time. Uh, he gets up from a play, he's immediately searching for the official. It's funny because on tape, it happens every play. Every time a a, a ball is thrown in his direction, after the play, he's looking for the official either to make sure a flag's not being thrown or hoping that flag is thrown. So, uh, you know, he's just a very aggressive player. And, uh, you know, that's you worry about that a little bit, but I'd rather my corners be aggressive and you just try to reel them back a little bit as opposed to the opposite where he's not aggressive enough And you have to try to you know get them to you know quit being so passive. So I you know JC Horn, uh, Patrick Sertan, both these guys are top fifteen players in this draft. You look at the Cowboys at ten; that's a natural landing spot for either one of these guys. Uh, The Eagles at twelve, the Chargers at thirteen. There's a good chance that we see those two corners come off the board at you know two of those three spots.
0: Last one, Dan, we'll let you run, man. I know you're really busy this time of year. Uh, Teddy and I it was hard to explain to a lot of OU fans that the most talented player here in the state of Oklahoma was actually playing at Tulsa. (laughs) How, uh, what have you seen from Zayvon Collins? Kind of what are you hearing from teams
2: about him? How
0: do they view him? What inside backer edge guy? I mean, he's just a big athlete, man.
2: Yeah, you don't see many 6'5", 260-pound linebackers in today's NFL. It's kind of a throwback. Um, You know, I think he's kind of that natural Sam, you know, and like a a Bill Belichick uh, type of defense. Uh, You know, Brian Flores with what he does in Miami. And that's why I think those two teams are going to be all over Zayvon Collins. Uh, The the Patriots picking at 15, uh, the Dolphins at 18. I I think both landing spots would make sense. Uh, Just a very unique player. Uh, You know, he's a quarterback in high school. He was the valedictorian of a senior class. Uh, And and there's a lot to like about uh, just the way he sees the game because he's not just a guy that's going to dominate versus the run he's not just a guy that can drop in space uh or rush a passer he can do it all and you watch his tape and you think you're watching a highlight tape but it's not it's just his tape uh you know he led the team in tackles for loss led the team in sacks uh he had led the team in interceptions with four two of those he brought back for touchdowns uh, he, he's got a couple blocked uh play uh blocked field goal blocked extra point on his resume so he's just a do everything type of guy. Uh, Height, weight, speed is fantastic. Uh, you know the way he moves, the way he reacts. Uh, there, there's a lot you can do with a player like that. Some look at him and say, "I just don't know what to do." And you know he's just kind of a little bit of a tweener for us and what 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 our scheme is. But for a team that really understands, um, you know, his ability. He could be a you know that Dante Hightower uh, type of linebacker. So uh, at fifteen, if if the Patriots end up not going for one of these quarterbacks, it it just it it screams Patriots pick uh, for Zayvon Collins there with the fifteenth overall selection.
0: I have no idea how you have all this information in your brain. It is so impressive. (laughs) You can get all of his great NFL draft coverage at the Athletic. Go subscribe, Dane you're the man. Thanks for the time, buddy. Good stuff.
2: Now, Gabe Teddy, I really appreciate it. Anytime, guys.
0: That man, the amount of knowledge in his brain about these draft prospects. That's so impressive like and I was I was I was looking at him like, "Okay, maybe he's just reading off the screen." And he was not. That was all straight off the dome. That was that made me feel stupid, honestly. It that's, made me feel dumb.
1: Uh, it's a lot of information in a small amount of time, and hey, it, I'll, I'll say this: it, it's a tough. Like his segment of sports is tough. It's a, it's a, um, it's a segment that's filled with some really good guys that have a lot of good information. So you better come prepared. And he knows his stuff for sure, man. Yeah,
0: that was great. I was in. I was encouraged by the stuff he said about a lot of the OU guys. Yeah. So. I'm hoping, I'm hoping our man Brugler is right, especially about Creed. If he could go in the first round, that'd be that'd so be sick. It'd be so sick. Okay, episode 104 in the Ooh. books. We'll have a new podcast. I know, we're getting up there, man. We're getting up there. We'll We've got to be podcast. coming up
1: on the one year. Yeah, I think here in a couple weeks. In May or so, probably? I think. Post-spring? I think our first
0: episode last year was late April. I'll have to look it up. We'll celebrate. Yeah. I'm sure our wives will get us cookies again. <laughs> New podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. We'll Take care of each other.